If you enjoy Champions for Children, be sure to check out the new podcast from Nemours Children's Health, Well Beyond Medicine. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts or at NemoursWellBeyond.org to continue hearing the stories of anything and everything related to the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. And now, the episode of Champions for Children you requested. Enjoy! Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Nemours Champions for Children COVID-19 update for February 25th, 2021. I'm Carol Vassar. Today, co-hosts Dr. Maureen Leffler and Dr. Jay Greenspan go directly to the source for the latest COVID-19 information from Orange County, Florida, home to the popular tourist destination Orlando, as well as the Nemours Children's Hospital in Lake Nona. Dr. Raul Pino is a plastic surgeon and epidemiologist by training and a renowned public health leader by experience. He headed up the Health and Human Services Department for Connecticut's capital city of Hartford before becoming commissioner of that state's Department of Public Health. He's been in his current role as Florida DOH officer for Orange County since 2019 and from the beginning of the pandemic last March. Dr. Pino has been a familiar, trusted public health spokesperson reporting evidence-based facts and prevention measures on COVID-19 to the people of Orange County. But before we hear from Dr. Pino, let's get the latest Nemours situational update on COVID-19 from our own trusted source, Incident Commander Dr. Jay Greenspan. So thanks, Carol. Uh, I'm going to give a situational update for today, 2-24-21. Just a few things to pass on because we're seeing COVID go down in all of uh, the entire country and in Florida and the Delaware Valley for sure. Uh, We've heard some new news that's exciting. Uh, The single dose of a vaccine given to someone who's had previous COVID seems to be very effective, probably even more effective than the second dose gives to someone who's not been exposed to COVID. We do encourage you to get the second dose still, but that's really good news that we're getting probably some protection for people that have had a single dose that have had previous COVID. We do have concerns and we don't know yet whether the vaccines, although they are reducing illness and preventing serious illness in almost all cases. We don't know if it's actually providing what we call sterilizing immunity. In other words, you could still be getting infected and still maybe even be able to transmit the infection, although we think less, less so than without the vaccine. But we don't know whether you actually, the vaccine will actually eliminate COVID. And so I say this to remind you that even if you've been fully vaccinated, it's still important to social distance uh, wash your hands and keep your masks on, at least until we know uh, more and until we reach herd immunity. We have seen uh, some nice uptake in vaccine. We've had some trouble last week because of weather getting some vaccine out, but still 12% of Floridians have gotten at least one dose, 6% have gotten two. So we're getting there and we hope that uh, March, April will be even better. So I'm going to pass it off to Mo, who's going to introduce our special guest today. Mo. So we are joined today by Dr. Raul Pino, the director of the Florida Department of Health in Orange County, which makes him the chief public health official in that part of Florida that includes our very own Nemours Children's Hospital. Dr. Pino, it is truly a pleasure to have you on today's Champions for Children podcast. 
Would you mind beginning today with an update on the state of the COVID vaccine distribution here in Orange County? Yes, uh, thank you for having me. So the vaccination distribution, as you probably know, is really headed by the state and they make those decisions on how vaccines are distributed. But um, we have been lucky to, to have the ability to use the Orange County Convention Center as a vaccination site. It's where I am right now. We are a mobile site. At this site, we are doing about 3,000 vaccinations a day. The site has been designed for 65 years and older. It's a drive-through. So the seniors do appreciate the fact that, you know, they don't have to walk. They don't have to park. It's just so uh, happens very fast. In general, the county is, is doing very well. Right now, as uh, this morning, we have provided here in Orange County 221,082 vaccinations. And the 65 years and older, which is where we are concentrating, we have done about 150,678 of the 65 years and older. And to give you an idea, that's 47% of the estimated population for 65 years and older in Orange County. So we we are reaching close to the 50% in that population. For the general population, we have vaccinated about 8.1%. That's great. And uh, Dr. Pino, do you have a message that you would want us to get out to the public? Get vaccinated as soon as you have access to the vaccine. And don't worry about the second dosage if you have some issues, but get that first dosage even if you only can have one. The concern is always with these variants and what could happen and what kind of mutation the virus can have that will hamper our ability to control the pandemic. So we are in a good point right now and we have to accelerate. And I even will support the concept of just giving one dosage right now I'm worrying about the second one another time next year, next season, next month, three months from now. But to get as many people as vaccinated as possible with some level of immunity so that we can get to some level of herd immunity to really control the pandemic. Oh, that's great advice. We know we're seeing drop in cases everywhere, including Orange County. Do you have hot spots or where's the greatest transmission you're seeing in Orange County? So interesting enough, our positivity rate has dropped about 50% since we initiated vaccination. It's not just the vaccine. We also are over the hump from the overlapping holidays. But we also did a statistical analysis of your 65 years and older and compared them to, to other similar groups that have not received the vaccine. And it's clearly uh, an indication that the vaccine has been very effective. Some of the hot spots that we have in the county are more related to socioeconomics, lack of transportation, and accessibility to care than anything else. And what we have seen is also, it's not that the pandemic discriminates, is that we have some level of health disparities prior to the pandemic. And when a pandemic like this comes, then amplifies those health disparities that we have, especially if anyone with pre-existing conditions are more likely to have a negative outcome. So though those who have been having chronic conditions without proper primary care are more likely to be located in socioeconomically depressed, minority-concentrated areas. And this is also a, a disease that is transmitting is related to population density. So these people 
are people that have less access to resources are more likely to live in large number in smaller spaces. So that is all conducive to having a higher level of pandemic among people of minority and low socioeconomic status. Is there any particular way that you have done outreach or education to some of the harder to access populations that you think have been more effective or impactful? So we have developed several plans to do just that. We haven't intensified those plans as of yet, although we are taking on pretty soon, because the volume for the vaccine was not there to expand and amplify. And talking about controlling the pandemic again, our initial efforts were really to vaccinate the larger number of possible people as quickly as possible to contain the pandemic. So we are at a level that we think the pandemic is responding to those efforts. Part of the diversification to be be able to access some of these communities, also language barriers. And especially with Haitian Americans who live in Central Florida, who speak a completely different language, uh, Patois or French, but also has a mistrust of government that is very, very, very rooted. So with these people, we may have to use their churches and their worship, their places of worship, as the people that they trust and be able. So recently, I have engaged in conversations with the Haitian community to do just that. For the Latino community, it will be a little bit easier because it's my language. I know how to access and how you know how to navigate those. With the Afro-American community, the challenges are going to be we have to bring it closer to them. It's like having a good diet. You have to put in front of people so that they make the healthier choice. So we have to bring it closer to them so that no excuses are on the table to be used to prevent you from getting vaccinated. Part of what we are doing is they are going to be opening federal sites here next week, and they have selected hotspot among their areas with highest as social vulnerability index based on the CDC guidelines. So we are going to move vaccination to community health centers, to churches, to markets, to parks in those areas with high social uh, vulnerable index. And we also acquire mobile clinic. It's not ready to go yet, but we are planning to do at some point. I think the volume is too high right now to do that, but it's go block by block in those areas. Park the mobile unit and say, hey, anyone who needs to get vaccinated, come in the bus, we will vaccinate you right now. So um, schools have been a big topic of concern for Central Floridians over the last several months. Could you tell us about the strategy and your work with Superintendent Jenkins to keep school transmissions to a minimum? You know, we always say this, and I experienced it this time better than any time before. It is how critical those partnerships that you establish at the executive level, that they influencing how they facilitate the process at the trenches when you are doing this type of work. And that has been one of the key partnerships with Superintendent Jenkins and our ability to work with her and guide the school system in how to prepare and how to best coordinate the return of kids to school. Right now, they have about 50% of the kids are face-to-face. Orange County public school system is the eighth largest in the country. It has more than 220,000 students, about 40,000 employees. 
14,000 of those are teachers. And the infections has been somehow under control. What has really have an effect on the schools and attendance has been the large number of people that we have to send into quarantine because of the contact with potential positive individuals. But we also have found that very few of the people that we send in quarantine convert. Uh, so with that, we will develop to, to, we were able to convince uh, the state and later the CDC took similar steps to reduce the quarantine from 14 days to 10 days because most people we convert in those 10 days, that reduce. But we have seen a reduction of the number of cases in school age children greatly. We hope that now we can move into vaccinating teachers and other providers of um, in the school system so that we can also protect them from the side effects of these um, infections. Do you have any concerns regarding spring break coming up next month? Yeah, the spring break, what concerns me is the people who are coming in large volumes to party in Florida, Fort Lauderdale, Orlando, Miami. And that's going to be happening in the next three, four weeks as there is a rolling uh, schedule of spring breaks. And our concern is also not only what they can bring, but what they can take back uh, to their own communities from meeting people from different areas. And I think that we may see a surge uh, in that specific age group, college age students, what we have seen before uh, due to do those type of activities. Uh, the bars and the clubs has been a main contributor to um, the infection rates in, those, in that age and that age group. And I think it's going to happen again. Yeah, that's concerning. As you said, we just got over the double holiday crunch and we just hope we don't see it again. Have you seen uh, the COVID-19 variants and uh, and particularly at the school level, any any news on the variants? Yes, we have about, that we know, that has been officially uh, diagnosed in the county. We have 14 of those variants as it is right now. Uh, not that many for a large county, but it doesn't mean that there are more out there. Uh, the first one that we saw was travel related and waiting to Mexico in the age group that we just uh, mentioned. So that's what it concerns me. And everyone has been young. We have seen transmission of the that variant within the county in a couple of people that live together. Uh, so far, we haven't seen that many, but Orlando is a travel destination. 75 million people travel here the year before the pandemic. And the airport here continues to be the busiest in the country at this point. So a lot of traveling is happening here. Yeah, we saw it blossom in New York and Florida for that reason back in the, in March. And you led the way mm -hmm. because you're such a popular place to go to. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we, we do have children's hospitals and we're pediatricians. And so we care deeply about our kids. And that's why we asked about schools. But we have parents interested in getting their kids vaccinated. Some kids are interested in getting vaccinated because they have they're at high risk. And we know, you know, one one of the vaccines is approved uh, over 16, the Pfizer. But any updates on testing or studies looking at dropping that number, the age number down to, say, 12 or someplace that some of our other kids can get vaccinated? So I read yesterday that I believe Pfizer was conducting a clinical trial with um, that age group uh, younger to see if it can be expanded. 
But in that age group, I think what is going to really make the difference if it gets approved for that age is the Johnson & Johnson, uh, because it's one single doses. This is a group that not only they have to come, but the parent have to come or the grandmother have to come with it. So it's a, it's a burden in the community at large and on the family at the short term. But I think the the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, if it's as effective as it is like the others and approved for younger it will be a very good tool to have for the schools uh, because you can do it. You do it once you never return and you get as many kids as you can. Dr. Pino, thank you so much for your tremendous leadership efforts in getting Orange County squared away and vaccinated. Thanks for taking your time to speak with us today. Do you have any final words for listeners today? Well, um, listen, we are here in Orange County. I visited your institution in Lake Nona is absolutely fantastic. Uh, that ability that you guys have to see every single bed in your system from those uh, operational centers is just mind-blowing. Uh, for that great partnership with uh, many of the people, Dr. Alexander and others in your institution. So we are here to collaborate and happy to have such an institution in our county. Thanks so much. It's been great. Thank you, guys. Okay, so this week for Ask the Incident Commander, we have a question from one of our associates. Um, remember, you can send your questions to the COVID-19 questions at nemours.org email box. Here's our question this week, Jay. Advisors to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration will meet this Friday, February 26th, to discuss whether to recommend Johnson & Johnson's COVID-19 vaccine for emergency use authorization. The vaccine has a number of advantages the single dose vaccine that can be stored at standard refrigerator temperatures for three months. And there have been no reports of anaphylaxis among those who have received it and no hospitalizations for COVID. However, not everyone is embracing this vaccine because its efficacy is reported at 66% after one dose, which is lower than the 95% found after two doses of the Pfizer vaccine. Should efficacy be a deciding factor and can people feel safe getting the J&J vaccine? Yeah, so this is a great question, Mo. And actually, I know that there are committees throughout states that are dealing with this very question. And most states are saying, and I know Delaware did say, that you should get the first vaccine you can get. And that includes the J&J if it's approved uh, this week. And that's because 66% is really awfully good. It's better than the flu vaccine. Uh, it's better than the, the benchmark, which was 50%, to be an efficacious vaccine. And so we really feel that that's a very effective vaccine, especially with its safety profile and its ease of delivery. So it's gonna be really great for people who just want one shot, uh, but you should take the first vaccine available. By the way, they're testing J&J for a second vaccine, right? So if you get a second shot, could that go up? Because really, if you look at Moderna and Pfizer, they're about 66% or so effective after one dose. And what's really encouraging about the J&J is that people don't seem to be getting very sick even if they get COVID after they've had the one dose. So bottom line for me, I don't know how you feel, Mo, but I get the first vaccine I can. I completely agree. Any vaccine you can get, you should get. Co-hosts Dr. Maureen Leffler and Dr. Jay Greenspan with some pretty wise advice regarding the COVID-19 vaccine. Many thanks to today's guest, Dr. Raul Pino, for taking time from administering vaccines at the Orange County Convention Center in Florida to talk with Drs. Leffler and Greenspan for this episode of the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. 
The podcast is created for Nemours Associates, past, present, and future, as well as the public at large. It's available on Nemoursnet and the Nemours Now app, as well as your favorite podcast app and your favorite smart speaker. It's free for streaming and download. Be sure to subscribe, review, and share with your fellow associates. Thanks to our production team, Dr. Maureen Leffler, Dr. Jay Greenspan, Sandra Herman, Cheryl Munn, Deborah Griffin, and Peter Adebi. Special thanks today to Jacob Horner, Namor's Director of External Affairs in Orlando, for all his help and assistance with the episode. Our music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions in Turner's Falls, Massachusetts. On behalf of Dr. Raul Pino, Dr. Maureen Leffler, and Dr. Jay Greenspan, I'm Carol Vassar. Thanks for listening to this COVID-19 update episode of the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. Until next time, please stay safe, stay well, and thank you for all you do for the children we serve. <laughs>